there's a lot of preaching that's going to go towards our kids this year. And so with that in mind, any one of you who actually has participated in Awana or is participating in Awana um, this fall season, if you'd stand. Um, anybody here that's uh, serving in Awana? Yeah, there we go. Got some kids, got some ladies. Keep Stay standing. It's fine. And uh, we're going to pray and commission that ministry as it begins. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the ministry that we are participating in. I thank you that I've seen people from the community come and bring their kids to Awana. And Lord, we are sort of teaming with people during Wednesday evening, and it's all centered on word ministry. I pray, God, that you would bless those who are serving the ministry, this ministry, and who are giving the word and listening to the word of God as children are memorizing the Bible together. Thank you for this vital ministry, and we pray that you would bless it for your honor and glory. Bless the opening and preaching of the word of God now as we go into 2 Timothy chapter 4. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. 2 Timothy chapter 4, this is... Uh, a foundational passage of scripture for my own life and for our church. We are a church that believes in the word of God and that the word of God should be preached. And so I'm going to read now verses 1 through 5 from 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing... And his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Preaching. What comes to mind when you hear that word? Preaching. Preaching the word of God or the command, preach the word of God. What comes to mind? Is it the idea that this is something that is passe and for a bygone decade or a, a past generation? Are we beyond preaching as a church? Today uh, in our culture, and I would just dare say even in my own home at the Kratz Foundation down the street, there's a lot of media that goes on. A lot of backlit screens are in the hands of my children these days. We have a flat screen TV downstairs and upstairs. We have a TV even in our SUV where there's a lot of media that's inundating my kids' lives and hearts and my own soul and our family and we're all people who are media rich right now. For the better or for the worse, we are having uh, a lot of sound bites inundate our souls through the eye gate, through the ear gate. We're seeing, hearing, and feeling a lot of information, concepts, and, and ways to think through the media. And so is preaching passe, is, is preaching rendered impotent or ineffective for the heart and for the soul of a Christian now? Have we gone to a day and age where now the word of God must be shared through media, through drama, through 
conversing or having someone share and not talk down to the congregation? Is, is it now that we are rewired to only hear the word through dialogue, through interaction? We have to be engaged at new um, inventive ways instead of just hearing a monologue. Well, I want to submit to you that this command that Paul gave to Timothy some 2,000 years ago, preach the word, is actually the answer. It's the remedy. It's the right response to our children, through our teenagers, to our own souls in terms of what we actually need because we're so media engaged and media enriched and media even damaged we need the word of God preached to our own hearts and souls preach the word is the command that's given it's a perennial command because the word of God is perennial it's never going out of style and preaching is the God-ordained means for the word of God to get inside our souls for life change preach it's a remedy. You know, I would say that our own very design, how God made you and made me in the image of God as thinkers, as soulish people, people who have eternal destinies, we need the word of God to engage us, to create an intervention in our lives and in our minds and then in our hearts and in our wills and in our emotions to direct and redirect the way that we live. We need the monologue. We need preaching to engage us I know I do we need reproof rebuke exhortation teaching from the word of God because that's how God made the ministry of the word to work now we're supposed to hear the word of God and we're also supposed to read the word of God the Bible says for us to meditate on scripture to read the word of God to read it for ourselves to teach ourselves through the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we read the word of God we talked all about that last week but we also need preaching we need what John Calvin calls the living voice of preaching to happen in our hearts we're not just sort of a bunch of animals in a pen we're, we're, we're in what Martin Luther called a church that is called a mouth house we need the the word the voice of the word of God to engage us in our hearing there's a whole theology and doctrine from Genesis to Revelation in terms of people who were hearing the word of God or people who were hardening to the word of God, people who were listening to the truth and people who were sticking their ears in and resisting the truth. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Jesus said it again and again. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We need to hear the Bible in our own souls for life change said of Christ that he was first and foremost of anything else a preacher a teacher it's always teaching always preaching the Bible to people people who would listen and people who would reject people who would soften and people who would harden the word of God's not returning void it's always doing its work it's always sowing seed it's always being received or rejected it's always binding or loosing it's always having an effect preaching is always working one way or the other it's working the words doing its work the ball is bounced and it's either bouncing back in faith or it is being rejected but the minister of the word 
goes on, it goes on through preachers. It's, it's all the way um, founded in the ministry of the prophets through Christ and the apostles and the preachers and teachers that are gifted in the local church even today. I hope that a message like this from 2 Timothy chapter 4 would even revive or awaken a call to preach even in the seats today. Maybe you children or teenagers or, or you young men or even seniors would, as men of God, say, you know, I need to be preaching in one form or fashion. I need to preach for the sake of people's souls to be opened up. I, I know I listen to the word of God regularly and I watch sermons to be preached to because I believe of my own self, I need to be opened up. I need to be made vulnerable. I need to have the word of God to reprove and rebuke and exhort me. So preaching is powerful and it is the solution to our day and age. So, okay, there in this text are nine imperatives that Paul gives, one after the other to Timothy now, and it's all related to word ministry and I would dare say the preaching ministry. The first imperative is preach the word. This is the signature imperative for Timothy's ministry. It's what he's supposed to be all about. 2 Timothy 2.15, he's to rightly divide or accurately handle the word of truth. He's supposed to preach and keep preaching. This is an endurance ministry in preaching. And I bookend these nine imperatives with the last one that in verse 5 is to Timothy to fulfill your ministry. In other words, you're preaching And as you preach the word of God and run this marathon race, you come to the end and the end of his ministry that is fulfilled is a preaching ministry where he is endured in preaching. Endurance. This is a theme of this section that maybe begins up in chapter 3 verse 14 where Paul said, continue in what you've learned. Keep going. Keep racing. Keep running. Don't Stop. Don't quit. Preach and keep preaching. This is Paul's emphasis all the way down to verse 6 where Timothy, I mean, Paul is saying, look, I'm in the jail cell. I'm at the end of my life. I know the end is near. I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Verse 7. He knows that his marathon's ending, but Timothy's is just beginning. Timothy, you're a preacher. Preach, and I want you to keep preaching. Don't stop, no matter what the culture says to do. How do you do this? This is the big idea of the outline. How do you endure in preaching? Well, you do the work of preaching. You do it. You got to understand what preaching is, and you got to do it the way God designed for you to do it. And then secondly... You preach with the right goals in mind. If you preach with the wrong goals in mind, you'll burn out. If you want the wrong things and the wrong results from preaching, you'll stop preaching. It will start to play in the psyche of the preacher where you start to believe the word isn't doing the work or the results aren't what you want and so you just want to pack it in. You got to preach and you got to expect hard times and you got to keep preaching. That's what's going on in this text. It's going to get harder. It's going to get more difficult. It's going to get more barren. It's going to be more vacuous. The tide is going to be coming against you, and you've got to run into it. You've got to preach through it. 
all the way to the fulfilling of your ministry, filling it to the fullness. Verse 1, this is the work of preaching, and I want to begin by understanding the work of preaching in this way, in the words that Paul said to Timothy in verse 1, which is that you preach for God. I'm preaching for you, and the preachers are to preach to the souls of men and women, boys and girls, but first and foremost, you preach for the glory of God. You preach with God's call in mind. And that's what Paul is beginning with in verse 1. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. It's a scene where Timothy is if he's in court, and he is being charged by the judge with two witnesses in the room, and the two witnesses are God and Christ, the first and second members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are there, and Jesus Christ is at the forefront here as the living judge, the glorified Christ is in view here where Timothy would be reading, unscrolling the words given to him by Paul, reading these words, and transparently seeing the eyes of Christ, the gaze of Christ looking into his soul as he feels the charge of God on his life to do this work. That's the level of accountability we've got going on here. That's the level of transparency that's happening here. You preach for God. You preach as to God for his accountability, for his glory. This is what Kent Hughes called a, a charge, a high-voltage charge in ministry. It's exciting, and it scares you to death at the same time. It's exhilarating. You can't help but do it. You want to do it. You want to take the command. You want to take the commission. And yet, the fear and dread of God is in your soul as you take up the book to preach it. It's high-voltage stuff, high-energy. There's um, the charge is, is high accountability. It's from um, the word martyria, uh, where we get the word witness. That charge word is the idea of um, two high, the highest witnesses giving the accountability of the teacher, the preacher. James 3.1, let not many of you become teachers of the word of God because there's a stricter judgment. There's an accountability. Hebrews 13.17 says that you are under as a preacher. You're giving an account for people's souls. And if you'll notice the credentials of Christ here in verse 1 quickly, who, this is Christ, is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. What's the idea here? The idea here is that preaching is the function of turning the tide in terms of people's eternal destinies with God in Christ who's going to come back and judge people's souls in terms of whether or not they believed in Christ or did not. Revelation 19, it pictures Christ coming back on a horse with a two-edged sword, slaying enemies, He's also pictured as coming back, rapturing the church, meeting them in the air, bringing them into the kingdom. That's the language that Paul's using here. It's Jesus is coming back, and he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. Those who are alive at the time of this writing, those who are alive now as Christians, and those who have already gone already, there is a judgment that's a coming. There's a great, there's the Bema Seat judgment for Christians. There's a great white throne judgment where Revelation 20 talks about Christ judging people according to their deeds. 
And you're either written in the Lamb's book of life or you're not. That's the judgment scene that Paul is portraying here. It's very severe. It's very graphic. It's very, very sobering when you think in terms of the foolishness of preaching, the the ministry of the word of God and how people's eternity is met in terms of the function of preaching, receiving the word of God or rejecting the word of God. That's the accountability of of what Paul is setting the table for. I remember being a 16-year-old and um, I sort of was reckless as an unbeliever and my parents uh, gave me the privilege of a of using the white Mustang that had just been bought in 1987. And so I'm driving this thing out of uh, sort of a back neighborhood um, parking area for our high school kids. And 16, under my first 90 days of having a license and just full of wisdom at that age. And I had a bunch of boys jammed in the back seat who said, hey, how fast will this thing go, man? Punch it. And so, you know, I wanted to show them how fast it would go, right? So I cranked down the road and, one block later, the cops waiting for me, you know, and sirens go. And a few days later, I find myself embarrassed standing next to my father in court. As I stood there and the judge spoke to me, and there were other students around. I'll never forget it. I mean, the, the black robe began to fill the room. The bench rose above, and my throat tightened as the judge said, do you have anything to say for yourself? And I just sort of squawked and squeaked through some sort of explanation for what I had done. And it didn't matter what happened to me. I mean, they actually kind of uh, lessened the penalty because my dad was restricting me heavily and, and expressing that to the judge. But the message was received. This was serious, and there was authority behind what the judge was saying to me in that moment. I was affected, and Timothy is affected in this. I don't know if Timothy was timid. People talk about Timothy. It's sort of a play on words. He's timid. Um, He's not been given a spirit of fear, but power. You know, stir up the gift within you. I don't know what's going on in Timothy's soul, but preaching is not personality-based. It's not whether you are regularly a bold person or not. Preaching is something that you do out of the earnestness of your calling and your gift to do it. So you just do it, and you keep doing it, and trust God for the results. Preach the word. Why do you preach? Well, you don't preach for money. You don't preach for fame. You don't preach for glory. You don't compare yourself to other preachers. You preach because you're commanded and commissioned to do it. What is preaching? You're supposed to preach for God and you preach the word is my next sub-point. Preach the word. Preaching is from the word kerux. It means to herald. It means to proclaim. It means to, to shout with force directives, teaching, expositing the word of God, and proclaiming it. As sort of a town crier, um, the picture here would be the idea of a royal official from the um, Roman Empire coming to town and saying, hey, the emperor is coming! Where the preacher or the town crier knows that he's doing it for the emperor. He's speaking sort of with proxy force for the emperor. The the highest position in the land. The person who can just basically say, you live and you die. And, And so the town crier is coming in the name of that kind of authority. That's the sense of the preacher as he speaks for God. You're not concerned with what people think. You're not concerned with how you're being perceived. You're not concerned with what's happening as much as just functionally declaring the truth to people as a town crier, as a herald. 
I'm known around my house as sort of a preaching dad. I, I preach a lot and will say things in a monologue to my kids. And sometimes I'm told to use an inside voice because I, I just sort of preach directives and ideas and concepts. Sometimes I do it and, and it's very appropriate. It's for the safety of my kids where, you know, things can happen where they could go into harm's way and I shout for them to be rescued and, and helped. You know, I want to encourage you as parents to preach to your kids. You say, oh, you know, I'm, I've been accused of being preachy. You know, my teenager says, oh, stop preaching to me. Well, you know what? Guess what? We're all sinners and we all need preaching. Yeah, there needs to be dialogue. Yeah, you need to listen. Yeah, you need to relate. Yeah, you need to play with your kids. You need to enjoy your kids. You need to love your kids. You need to shepherd your, your kids. But you need to preach to your kids. Your kids will try in sinful ways to convince you that you don't know better. But if you're speaking truth and you're doing it out of love, preach to your kids. Intervene in their lives. Help them make choices and say to them with biblical force, don't go there. Don't do that. Don't Make friends with that person. That person will, I mean, I was talking to a friend one time and I was telling him my parenting style and it was like their jaws dropped. I said, look, there are times where I say, if you go in that direction, that person will drag your soul into hell. I talk that way to my kids. Look, if you go that way, you are damaging your own heart. I do that. And I'm telling you as parents, that is a priority in your life to warn to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort, to lovingly come alongside with the word of God with great patience and instruction. It's the whole gamut. It's important to do that work. Preach the word. What's the content of our preaching? It's the word. We're to handle it accurately. I am to teach the word of God to you, explain it, put it in its historical context. I look at the original languages. I try to clarify the truth, but I don't leave it at that. I also reprove with it, rebuke and exhort. But it's always the word of God. There's a lot of things that people will preach other than the Bible. Have you noticed that? There's a lot of stories out there, a lot of inspirational moments, a lot of business strategies, a lot of pop psychology, a lot of stuff, stuff, stuff that fills people's time. But what's worth your time is the word. You need the word of God. We talked about that last week, the seed of the word of God that germinates in people's souls to save them. The word of God, which keeps people on the path for righteousness. We preach the word of God. And then second, or thirdly, you preach always. You preach for God, you preach the word, and you preach always. And I find this in verse 2. Be ready in season and out of season. It's a play on words. Be ready when it's timely and untimely. Be instant. Be ready to stand. Be ready to jump up there and preach. I don't know. Honestly, I've been preaching since I was 19 when I first was given an opportunity to preach to a youth group on a Wednesday night basis, regular basis during a summer, all the way till now I'm 41, been preaching that long. I don't remember a time when someone says, will you come and preach for me that I ever said no. I just don't remember. I, I could have said no. I know there have been times when there have been a group setting where someone else could do it and I you know, could have done it, but, but I don't typically beg off in preaching. I enjoy preaching, whether it's in season or out of season, whether you're playing your sport at home or you're playing away, whether it feels right or doesn't feel right, I like to preach the Bible. 
I, I do. It's, it's a calling. It's a charge that I have felt. And for some reason, I'm convinced I'm supposed to do it. And so I preach. And you want to be preached to by people who are men of the book, who preach the word and preach always. Preach consistently. What are you supposed to preach? Or you're supposed to preach for life change. You preach for God, you preach the word, you preach always, and you preach for life change. You're using the tools that are listed here in verse 2. Do you see that? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. I heard one um, preacher, Al Mohler, say it this way. He said, preaching is like, the life of the preacher is like um, the directions on a bottle of shampoo. Lather, rinse, repeat. Lather, rinse, repeat. You get up and you reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. You just do it. And, and the word of God, like tools in the hands of the Holy Spirit, goes into a heart and opens a person up and, and redirects thinking. That's reproof. Reproving. It's, it starts in the mind. It's where you're thinking one way and you're sort of drawn away with a, a some sort of lie from Satan, some sort of whisper from the world. And then the word says, now you got to think this way. And then rebuke goes from the mind to the heart or the actions. It's an intervention that happens with the word of God where you're going along one path and it's like, no, you need to be stopped right there. And there needs to be a redirection in how you live. That's a rebuke. You say, well, rebuke sounds harsh. Guess what? Our, hard, our hard-heartedness needs a strong rebuke. Do you want to come and hear preaching? Do you want the tools to be active in your heart? You need to want it. You need to want preaching. You need to open yourself up to the surgeon's scalpel of the great physician as he cuts away the wrong things that are going on in your heart with the word. There's a time to dialogue, but there's a time to just open up and say, Lord, speak to my life. It's not whether or not, oh, I liked that sermon or I didn't like that sermon. It's not that kind of mentality that you have to have when you come into the preaching environment. You come into the preaching arena to say, Lord, what were you doing in my heart with the word of God when it was preached to me? That's the heart of the hearer coming under the hearing of the word of the living God. And the Bible, you know, it doesn't need a defense for itself. It just does the work, right? I'm just a facilitator of truth. C.H. Spurgeon said it this way. I, I like this quote and this idea. He said, I, didn't, I never have had to defend the word of God. The word of God is like a lion in a cage. All I got to do is open the cage and let it out. And the word does the work. Well, there's a third tool that's presented here in verse 2. It's sort of the, the other side of the equation in preaching. You're reproving, correcting people's thinking. You're rebuking. You're intervening in a person's lifestyle, calling them back to holiness. And then you're exhorting. This is parakaleo. It's the same word that's used for the comforter or the Holy Spirit. It's where you come with the word of God alongside someone, where you're shepherding a person's heart, where a person is sitting needing a promise from God's word to be given to them, needing to hang on to something, someone who's hopeless, someone who's hurting, someone who's faint-hearted, who needs to be built up. The Bible edifies its foundation stones that are laid to create the edifice of your own soul. Edification, 
or encouragement comes through exhortation in the word of God. That's the actions of preaching. Now, what are the attitudes that bring this about? The attitude of preaching is found in the little phrase at the end of verse 2, with complete patience and teaching. I like this because it's a reminder to me that people take a long time to change. Something we talk about as a staff. We've talked about this. You know, listen, life change takes a long time. It takes a long time in my own life. It takes a long time in your life. It takes a long time in your spouse's life. It takes a long time in your children's life. And you just minister the word of God and you come under the ministry of the word of God. And over a long period of time, hearing the word of God, the trajectory is reset towards Christlikeness. And it's through the ministry of the word. It was that, that was my experience as a teenager. I was raised in a Christian home. I was under the preaching of the word of God in several different arenas. Youth pastors, Sunday school teachers, preachers. Heard it a lot growing up. And it took the chipping away of the preaching ministry in my own soul to finally break through and for light to be shed in my heart where I was saved. My Sunday school teacher who was this lay teacher, preached the gospel as a man possessed. He would literally at points, and I kid you not, he was this sort of short, stocky guy who was filled with energy. He literally would jump up on the tables and walk along and shout at us the gospel. Talk about getting our attention. And he didn't even know he was winning us to Christ, but we were all unregenerate unbelievers. He was treating us like believers, but was preaching the gospel to us. And a bunch of us got saved. And some of us went into full-time ministry. It's through the ministry of the word. You preach and you keep preaching. And then you preach through hardship. You preach for God. You preach the word. You preach always. You preach for life change. And you preach through hardship. Guess what? The marathon race is going to get harder. You're running along as a preacher and suddenly uh, the, the, the grade is inclining and you've got to run uphill. Literally, the preacher has to run cross-grain with a people that don't want to hear what you have to say. That's what Paul is telling Timothy. Paul is warning Timothy that things are going to go from bad to worse, and not just in the world. Romans 1.18, they're going to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's the world. Guess what? Paul is actually talking about what's happening in the church, that the church is not going to have an appetite for truth, and you preach... And you keep preaching anyway. For a time, look at verse 3, is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Timothy, you're supposed to endure. You're supposed to continue. But the people aren't going to endure. It's like a contradiction. It's kind of like, why should I do this? Well, he's not really answering why. He's just saying what. You're supposed to preach when it gets hard. Let me just say this, it's not cliche anymore to say that our culture is getting more and more flamboyant in applauding sins that 20, 30 years ago, 10 years ago, we would have said, ew, that's gross, that's carnal, that's countercultural even to our culture. Now our culture is educating the culture to say, listen, it's not only normal for sin to be that flamboyant and out there, but it's wrong for you to judge or condemn that sin. You're the oddball for thinking that that's odd for sin to be flamboyantly on display through the media. People aren't going to endure sound doctrine, not just in the world, but in the church. What's sound doctrine? 
It's healthy teaching that's safe, sound teaching, teaching that'll keep you safe. People aren't going to endure it. But look at this. Have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Itching ears, it's the picture of uh, a scratch, that, an itch that needs to be scratched. Uh, it's a metaphor for curiosity. It's the idea that people are going to get more and more of an appetite to hear things other than the Bible preached from pulpits. You hear about full arenas, stadiums being filled with thousands upon thousands of people to hear things that aren't the Bible or are Bible-esque, but they're skirting the main issues and core issues of the gospel, faith, repentance, Christ alone. These are the, the sort of hallmarks of the gospel that are just being ignored or slighted in pulpits around. And it's this prophecy is being fulfilled. People are accumulating. It's the idea of heaping up teachers. We want more and more teachers to tell us what will fill our appetite, our curiosities, which will scratch our itch. The word ears here is the idea of uh, akue, which is where we get the word acoustics. We want to hear things in our ears that will scratch our itch. We'll feed our lusts, that's the word passions there, our appetites. We've talked about the false teachings that are pervasive in the church, and they really are. I mean, it, anytime you hear a message that's pumping up a person's self-esteem, um, pumping up man rather than glorifying God, anytime you hear a sermon that is talking about, you know, feeding the lust of the flesh, you can do it, you can make it, you can be successful, you can enjoy your life to the fullest in a suffering-free environment. Anytime you hear a message like that, that is a lie from Satan. Jesus suffered, Paul suffered, we're called to suffer. We're called to hardship and ministering through hardship, whether you're a preacher or not. Um, money is something that's dangled out. The more money you have, the more happier you'll be. Sensuality is, is dangled out, you know, in terms of lies, things that you have and this sort of entitlement mindset, boastful pride of life. Anytime religion is preached in terms of you can control your life, you can control your spouse, you can do one, two, three steps and you can improve yourself religiously. Those are lies. Those are anti-Christ and anti-gospel messages, even though they're subtly given. But people, look, verse 4, will turn away from listening to the truth. They'll substitute the truth with false teaching, even subtle false teaching. Turn away. Epistrepho, it's the same word that's used for repenting, where a believer, I mean, an unbeliever's moving away from God, and they do a 180 and come back to God. That same idea is found in this word. In reverse, though, they're, they're in the church, and they were listening to truth, and they do a 180 away from the truth towards the world, towards lies. And it gets even more graphic here, where they turn away from listening to truth, same word, that acoustic word, that hearing of truth, and wander off into myths. The word wander off here is a graphic idea of you've turned, and now it's like a bone in a socket that's turning and twisting and loosing itself out of joint. You ever see somebody go that direction where they turned away from truth, and then they wandered away from the word of God, where it's a graphic twisting away from hearing truth. They wander off into myths, the lies, the false teaching that is given that people replace for the truth. Look at verse 5. We're talking about preaching in a hardship environment like this. 
What is the goal of preaching? Let me tell you this. If I don't have clearly in my mind the true goal of preaching or the goals of preaching in my gaze as a target for why I'm doing what I do, I would get very discouraged. It's, it's uh, sort of very hard to preach in environments where you're telling people things they don't want to hear, where you're telling people that they're sinners, you're telling people from God's word that, you know, they need to change. That's a hard thing to do if you have the wrong goals in mind. If you're trying to build a crowd with a hard message, that's a hard thing to live through. You got to have the right goals and the right ideas in mind as you preach. And I want to talk through these goals. Look at this, verse 5. The phrase, as for you, it just points to the fact that Timothy is singled out as a person who's supposed to be different or swim upstream in a church culture that's wanting to go the other way. You got to run in the opposite direction. You got to be the, the person who stays sane in an unsane, insane environment. As for you, always be sober minded, always be sane. You need to be, Timothy, you need to be the pilot at the controls of an airplane where your crew and your passengers are going crazy because the plane's going down. And you stay sober at the wheel, sober at the stick, steady as she goes. The preacher has to say, stay sane, sober-minded, not drunk with the world, but sober. And you are to endure suffering. This is the goal of preaching. You're to do it. You're to preach and preach the word and preach through hardship. And you're to stay sane while you do it, sober-minded, even keeled at the stick, and then you are to literally endure suffering. Endure evil is what the word literally is saying here. It's kakion, evil. Endure evil when people speak ill against you. You're patient when wronged you. You suffer through evil. And you do the work of an evangelist. So the goal of preaching is simply to endure suffering that's caused by preaching. You provoke it as you give the word out. And you endure that. And then secondly, you evangelize through preaching. Now, enduring suffering or evil and evangelizing is, are really the two goals. You're kind of like the fireman or firefighter who's standing at the door of a burning building that's going down in flames. And you have the one doorway that the people need to go through and you're crying out to them as the smoke is filling the place and people are passing out. You're having to lift some people up and guide them down the doorway and you're calling out to the crowd saying, listen, this is the doorway. This is the way out. This is the way of escape. Take this doorway. Don't stay there. Don't, don't be filled with smoke and ignore what I'm saying. Don't try a different way out. You're gonna burn up in flames go this way and some people will go with you and some people will flat reject you but you have to be the faithful person calling people in the right direction and doing the work of an evangelist soul winning timothy's whole life and ministry was to be a soul winner it's told when i came up to alaska win souls to christ go there to win people to christ and this isn't a context where Timothy is called to do street preaching, though that's good to do, or, or missionary work. Timothy is called to evangelize people inside the church. 
I was raised in the church and saved in the church. Some of you need Christ. You need to believe and repent for the first time and say, Christ, you are my all in all. The work of an evangelist, Stephen and Philip were evangelists who were gifted evangelists. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about the gift of evangelism, but all of us are to do the work of evangelism with the word of God. And I just want to apply this to you. Listen, not all of you are called to be preachers. Maybe some of you are called to be preachers, but all of us are to have a ministry with the word of God and the effects and the tools that are given to us with the word of God are the same. And we are to reprove and rebuke and exhort people with great patience and teaching. We're to start the word ministry and endure through hardship in the word ministry all the way to the end where we, verse five, fulfill our ministry or fill it to the fullest. It's the same word plurao used in Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 19, be not drunk with wine, but be filled in spirit, 518 rather. And 319 of Ephesians is um, to have the fullness of God in your life, to be filled with the fullness of God, plurao. It's the same idea here. The fullest extent of your ministry is fulfilled as you endure through hardship and as you evangelize the lost, as you preach and you keep preaching all the way to the finish line. Look at the context of a marathon race is found in the words that Paul speaks of himself. Immediately following verse 5, he says, I'm already be pour being poured out as a drink offering. I'm going to die. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness that's laid up for me. That the Lord as the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. We're all called to run the marathon race, and Paul saying, Timothy, run this race and run it all the way to the finish line. Do you want to run the race? Sign up. Begin preaching the word or teaching the word or using the word in word ministry. Start and then keep doing it. Now, let me say this. Be a hearer of the word of God. A hearer who becomes a doer. Open yourself up to the word of God as it's preached because God will change your life through the ministry of the word. You know, I heard um, through Facebook and, and just some interactions yesterday that a mentor of mine who was near and dear to my heart died and went to be with the Lord. He was 82 years old. He had a life teaching ministry and preaching ministry of 40 years teaching preachers how to preach the word. And I think it's by no mistake that I was landing on this text to preach for Sunday and hearing about a mentor named Paul. His name was Paul Fink. Paul who loved Paul. He loved the apostle Paul. He taught me in five different classes through my time at Liberty University, ages 18, 19 through 21, 22. That segment of my life was when Paul Fink commissioned me and taught me to study the Bible, to preach it. It was ingrained in me that this is what I was supposed to do through this man's ministry. And so I sort of feel the, the charge and the passion to preach and keep preaching. And I'm always going to preach and always unequivocally preach the word of God because the Bible tells me to. That's what you need to want and, and to journey in. Preaching the word of God is a ministry that should be valuable to you 
not just because I do it, but anybody who does it, any man called to open God's word and herald the truth, that's a significant ministry in your life and in your children's lives. Let's take up this mantle and follow this path, preaching and hearing preaching. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for time in your word. We thank you for the enduring ministry of the word of God. God, the word of God is perennial and it's effective and powerful and lively to our own souls. And I pray, God, that we would be hearers of the truth. We thank you for our time in communion now where we can fellowship around the table, the Lord's table. Lord, let us now um, recapture in our souls afresh the gospel as we participate with the elements of communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I invite the